Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. How are you? You good? Great. We're having communion today. Excited? I mean, I just love that song. I'm sorry, but you know, I, that's the first time we've done that song. Is that the first time you've heard that song? That song? I just liked it because I'm like looking, I got George to give me the words because I said, that's really good. Like, look, I'm no longer a slave to sin anymore. And it was, it was almost a little bit like uh, some R&B, a little bit of rap in there. <laughs> you know, how can I do it? Uh, all my deaths left for dead beneath the water. I can't do it. Can, can you do it? Do you need to give me a new microphone? Man, did I blow the batteries in the first service? Check one, two, fantastic. La, da, 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 da. But it's good stuff left beneath the waters. I mean, what remains of me is this reckoning. Say reckoning. You know, because really it's all, it's all done. You just got to reckon so. Are you free from sin? I reckon so. Are you healed, delivered, made alive in God? I reckon so. All that's left is your reckoning. I just love that. I love that. It says, uh, and should I ever need reminding what power set me free? There's a grave that holds no body, and now the power lives in me. I mean, hey, come on. It talked about the cross. I mean, there's a cross. I mean, I was just going, man, all this stuff, there's good stuff in this. There's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There's another in the fire. Man, I almost want some fire just to manifest some big, nasty, glorious overcoming. You know what I mean? Man. Praise the Lord. All right. You know, it's, uh, we're reading right here. If you're new or new recently or whatever, this is what we've been doing all year. These Bibles, we bought like 250, 300 of these. And, and uh, we all together as a church have been reading through the Bible this year. And so we're, every day we're just reading. It's chronological. And so how, what that's done to us is it's put us that we have Easter and Good Friday are in November. So that's what's going on today. You're going to have Good Friday and Easter. How many? How many? Yeah. Whoa. Twice a year. Yes. So we're right in the middle. Of the, we're at the end of the gospel. So at the end of the gospels, it's, it's the end of the, the historical journey of Jesus where he comes to the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. So we're all in that place right now where we're reading. Amen. How many are still reading faithfully along, tracking with us, all eyes closed, heads bowed? How many need to catch up today? Just grab it. It's November 3rd. Just start. Start right where we are. It's good stuff. We've had a lot of fun. But that's where we are. So we're going to be teaching on that because that's where we are. So all right, here we go. The Jesus trip. So this is titled, it's, it's the good times and bad times. All right? Because uh, it was a good day for us. We call it Good Friday. Good Friday. Good Friday. We call it Good Friday. And uh, Good Friday. It was a good day for us. It wasn't a great day for Jesus physically. But it was a good day for him because he knew what it meant for him to lay down his life for us. So it's, it was good times and bad times. So we're going to look at these, the resurrection, and we're going to look at the cross, and we're going to talk about good times, bad times. Are you ready? 
All right, so the Gospels. The Gospels, we see Jesus. So the Gospel, when you're reading it, you see Jesus. You see the, the physical person, Jesus, that God-man, and we see him tracking through life. So you want to read about him, uh, the narrative about him, you can read the Gospels. And so you see there's Jesus. Jesus, he went about in the cities and the villages. Real guy, real Jesus, a real man. God emptied of his divinity. He put aside divinity. He took off the privileges of divinity. He was divine, but he put aside the privilege of being God, and he identified completely with us as being a man and we see the picture of that man that God man existing here on this earth walking just like us so we see that in the gospels we'll get into Paul's letters and the epistles and what you see in that it's like a cat scan we're going to start stepping into the epistles we'll step through the the history of the book of Acts and we're going to get into the epistles and the epistles are like a CT scan it's where you you get to see the inner workings of what God was doing because as Jesus was doing stuff in the spirit stuff was happening and it says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So outside, people saw a man whose life was viciously taken and being laid down, but on the inside, the Spirit of God and the Father were at work inside. They were reconciling the world to themselves. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk more about the cross and the resurrection and all that that means as Paul begins to unpack the inner workings of that as we go forward. But we're going to start with the bad times. We're going to start with overcoming your worst day. Has anybody had a bad day? Anybody ever ever in your life had a bad day? Anybody expecting to have a bad day? Well, you know, if you're ever going to have a bad day, Jesus had a really, really bad day. So we're going to look at how he handled a really bad day, and we're going to learn from that. Are you ready to learn? You ready? If you're having a bad day, and it's horrible, and it's messed up, I'm going to give you seven things that you need to do. These are seven things that Jesus said at the cross. You ready? So here it is. Number one, when you're having a really bad day, first thing is forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Step number one, forgive everybody because, listen, the things sometimes that happen to you have nothing to do with you. Other people can make your life miserable. How many say it's always those other folks? If it wasn't for other people, pastor, I'd be fine. Well, you know, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you need to look in the mirror and it actually originates with you. And sometimes you need to forgive yourself because you're the miserable person making it miserable. But you know, sometimes it is, it's other folks. <clears throat> you don't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. You didn't sign up for it. But you know, you can have somebody just bark at you. You know, I really hate it when people burp, beep their horn at me. Do you? I just don't use my horn. My wife says, that's a good place to use your horn. I'm just not doing it because it's annoying when you're driving along. And bam, you're like, what did I do? And some people just, it's just annoying, you know? And then I get here and I feel bad because what's wrong, Pastor? Somebody beeped at me on the way to church. <laughs> It's just like, what is the deal with that? Why are they beeping at me? Anyways, you know, so when that stuff happens, here it is. You ready? Here's how you can just get rid of it right away. Forgive everybody who's beeping at you in the drive-thru. <laughs> Got a revelation right there. <laughs> you know, some people think you got to forgive or God won't forgive you. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to forgive as we've been forgiven. So he forgave us, so we should forgive everybody. How many know that God forgave you a lot? How many know that he went to incredible lengths, that past, present, and future, every single way, he's delivered you totally from the power, the penalty, the presence of sin, he's totally set you free. And you know what, if he do that for you, you know what, you need to do that. It says there was one debt that we have, and that is to love every single other person we run into. And love keeps no record of wrongs. Love always forgives. Love always blesses. Now, should you always forgive? Will, will unforgiveness damage you? Yes. 
If you don't forgive, you can get a root of bitterness. You can get things in your life. You can cause your whole world to be miserable. You go, I'm never going to forgive them. I'll never forget what they did to me. You know, you're not going to harm them. You remember the old story? Like, unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. So you got you to let it go. Say, I got to let it go. Let it go. let it go. Number one, right there, boom. Jesus said, he said, Father, here he is. A vicious, ruthless beating that he did not deserve. That's what Jesus got. Step number one, he said, Father, in that miserable, hopeless, painful moment, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? Come on. So number one, never be a victim. Number two, here's what Jesus said. There he is. He's, he's focused on others in your time of pain. There's somebody beside him. He's crucified. I love this because we sang that song. He's in the middle, right? There's someone there. I just That song set up the sermon for me. You know what I mean? Because we're right there in the middle. Jesus was in the middle. He had two guys on either side, but one guy recognized that Jesus was in the middle of his miserable situation. And one guy, he called out, Jesus, you can help me. He saw Jesus in the middle of his dilemma. And when he cried out to Jesus, Jesus said, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I'll tell you something. When, uh, there's often times I've had people come and I, oh, I got a problem. And I say, look, I got a place. Would you go down to Parkwood? I want you to volunteer with uh, some of the folks who are at Parkwood. So what's that got to do with my problem? You're going to start serving other people's problems and it's going to get your mind off of your problems. You know, I tell you, the best way to get you free of the nonsense that's bothering you is to go serve somebody else's pain. Because, boy, I tell you, it, you'll quickly realize that, you know what, I'm blessed. And you'll get your mind off yourself. But I love this. Number one, focus on others in your time of pain, and you're going to get past that. That is the best therapy. Number three, third thing that Jesus said. He said, fulfill your responsibility to those near you. Now, I mean, I stub my toe, and I forget who my family is. I just lose my mind completely. Because I'm like, ah, my mind. But I love this. Here's Jesus. Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was beaten almost to death before they dragged him down the street, carrying the cross, spit at him, beat him, punched him, put a crown of thorns on his head. All of that, when you physically analyze it, he should have been dead three times over. So here's a guy who they said on the cross, you could not even recognize what was there. You would look and go, is that a man? He was so beat. He was so physically destroyed that there was a lump of flesh hanging up there that they're like, oh my, that's bad. That's the kind of pain he was enduring at that moment. And in the middle of that pain, here's what he says. Dear woman, here's your son. And he said, dear disciple, here's your mother. In the middle of his time of pain, he's thinking about the responsibility as the oldest son. This ain't good, and I got to make sure right now that mom's taken care of. And he didn't point his hand, and he didn't say John and mom, because it was nailed to a tree. You know, in the middle of your painful day, don't forget, you got responsibilities. Stay fixed on what you got to do. He died. Be responsible. Number four, direct all your tough questions to God. I mean, people come to me, what am I going to do about this? What was it? What was it? I go, well, let's talk to Jesus. I've had people bring me, I think I'm doing to do this. Go, well, let's just stop and let's just talk to Jesus. Well, what do you think? I think we should talk to Jesus. And thank God, I love the verse that says, I'm a sheep, I'm a child of God, and my sheep hear his voice, right? So I'm not your professional hearer. I don't want to hear for you. I don't want you dependent on me. I want you to know that you can hear the voice of God yourself. Let's push all the tough questions up. Push it up. And you know what? Here's a tough one. He said, my God, my God, why have, you, why have you abandoned me? And this is Jesus quoting Psalm 22, and he's quoting that. Because we know God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So he's crying out in his manhood. He's saying, God, where are you? Whereas he never, ever called God God. He called God Father. 
So here he is identifying right now with the pain of, of the sin of the whole world being placed on him, the sin of every, every evil, nasty, uh, maniac, murdering maniac, every pedophile, every awful, sick, disgusting thing. Jesus took the sin of the whole world. He wasn't just beat nearly to death. He took all of sin, past, present, and future, and it was all placed on him. And in the middle of that, he's, he's honoring the word of God. In the middle of that, he's declaring and fulfilling the scriptural responsibilities. In the middle of that, he's consciously aware that I have to be alert because I am redeeming the whole world. Wow, I stubbed my toe. I couldn't care less about anybody else. But Jesus had you on his mind. Number five. Keep focused on the mission, the details of it. I mean, Jesus was focused on the details. Look what it says in John. It says, Jesus knew his mission. I mean, he's on the cross in excruciating pain, and he's focused on the mission. He's focused on the mission. And look what he says. He, he knew. He knew that the mission was now fulfilled and to fulfill scripture. So here he is thinking about all of the scriptures that I've got to fulfill, everything prophesied about me, I have to make sure it's all done. I have to finish every single detail of the call on my life. And there he is in that kind of pain thinking what's left. And he thought, knowing that scriptures needed to be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. So he had to say the phrase, he had to say this phrase, scripturally, he had to say his job would not have been complete if he did not cry out, I am thirsty. That was a part of the, the, the call of God on his life at that moment to cry out that phrase. Why? Because when he said it, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. They held it up to his lips. And when Jesus tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He had to say, I'm thirsty. Well, why did he have to say that? You need to find out. That's your homework. No, I'm going to help you. I'm going to take you to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, it says, in those days, no one's going to say it ever again. It's not going to be said anymore. I'm going to deliver you from having to go to an inner healing conference. You ready? I'm going to free you from that $100 check right now. You ready? In those days, no more are they ever going to say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, therefore the children's teeth are set on edge, which means I am having to deal with what I'm going through because of my generational sins. That's what this means. Because my dad or my mom or somebody in the generations past did something wrong, I am suffering the consequences of someone else's sin. Well, Jesus, he said, they will no more have to say that. When will they no more have to say that? I need to know this, Pastor. I need to know this because I've had some evil characters in my life. And I need to know this. I need to own this scripture today because I need to own that I'm free from all of that once and for all. You can be delivered right now, once and for all today. Are you ready? You need to know that. What is it? The fathers in the their children's teeth are set on this, but everyone from now on, they're going to die for their own iniquity. Every man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So it's going to be a personal thing. Every individual is going to own their situation. Give me the next verse. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So this is going to be put in force when there's a new covenant. When did we have a new covenant? Zach talked about the upper room last week. And in the upper room, Jesus instituted a new covenant. So are we living in a new covenant? Yes. Then he drank that sour juice, that sour wine. He drank it for us. He said, I'm thirsty for your freedom. I'm thirsty for your deliverance. I'm thirsty for the challenges of your past and everything your forefathers did. I am thirsty that you are set free from every generational issue. 
Now, if you want to not believe that and go on with your fleshly uh, attempts to make what God did done in your flesh, knock yourself out, but you'll be in a constant cycle of hopeless despair. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. And your freedom is an act of faith. It's not an act of your personal effort of staring at your belly button long enough where you get yourself out of it. Looking on the Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Can I get an amen from anybody? Because that's the truth. For I will forgive their inequity. Inequity is where something is not right. It's inequity. There's not equity there. Where there's not equity, he's going to step in and he's going to deal with that and he's going to break off the inequity and he's going to completely align you so that you are equitably, you are equal to, you are aligned with your Father in heaven. And the inequity is broken. I will forgive their inequity and their sins. I will remember no more. Unless you've forgotten that you're cleansed from your past sin. Hey, hey, I got a good job from a guest. Isn't that awesome? Hey. Okay, I'm moving on. Number six, keep the end in sight. That's what he did. He said, man, it's finished. He kept it. It's paid in full. It's done. This is it. The final sacrifice for sin is done for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Why? Because he knew the victory at the other end. You know what? When you're going through the valley, go through the valley. Though I go through the valley. Though I go through the valley. I'm going through because I know that my God is with me. He's in the middle. He's going to bring me through. Amen. I tell you, it is finished. It's all paid in full. There's nothing left to pay for your freedom. It's paid in full. The only thing left is for you to say, I reckon that's a good idea. I think I'll stand in that. Amen. Another one, number seven. Number seven, he let go and let God because the last thing he said was father. He was my God, my God, but now he's back at the end. He's father. It's like, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father, I completely trust you. And wherever you are in the struggle, wherever you are in the fight, wherever you are in your bad day, rest in this. He is faithful. I'd like to stop there. But we got to do the resurrection because we're doing the Easter weekend in one day. Isn't that awesome? Say, I'm glad I came. All right. All right, we're going to go quick. Look at this. This is a picture of a tomb. It's a, a, a Henriette Julianne Caroline von Ruling. Now, this is a real grave, real person. Didn't live really long. You look at the dates of her life. It was only uh, 1756 to 1782. But she was an unbeliever. She despised Christianity. She despised faith. And when she did die, die she, she had her tomb locked up, locked down, clamps and chains and, and stones, and she had it just clamped right down. And written right on the front of that tomb, it says, may this tomb, bought for eternity, never be opened. She says, I'm locking down my remains for eternity. My remains will never move from here. I mock the resurrection. I mock that wants to die and then the judgment. I mock that there is a God who will ever hold me to account. I mock the resurrection. Well, they built that tomb in the little field. But what they didn't realize is they built that tomb over a little seed. And that little seed turned into a big tree. And even though that seed was covered with concrete and stone and shackled down, that little seed fought towards the sunlight. And that little seed blew open her tomb. And that tomb's still open today. And I tell you, Jesus, it says that seed of a woman will come. And it says that he will, you know, have his... His heel strike the heel of the devil, but 
Jesus, that seed will crush the devil's head. And that little seed of that woman, Jesus was planted into the ground and he has risen again and he has forever broken every chain. He has forever brought us and told us, set us totally free. Please settle down. The excitement is just your enthusiasm. Please stop. I'm trying to preach here. So let's look. I'm going to give you quickly, I'm going to give you seven declarations, the seven first sayings of a risen Christ. You ready? Here we go. Boom. Acts chapter 4, resurrection was a big deal. They were mad that these guys were preaching the resurrection. Acts 4.33, what did they do with great power? They, the apostles gave witness to what? What was their message? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. They preached about the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. 1 Corinthians 15.17, and if Christ has not been raised, I mean, if all Jesus did was die for us, if, if all we have is just an example of how to deal with a bad day. That's not all that happened. Because he didn't just die and was buried. He is risen and he's alive today. See, and it says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith is a delusion. I mean, some people, they're believing. And sometimes I think they're believing like, like they, they don't have a living God. They don't have someone in the middle. Oh, my life, it's so bad. It's so terrible. I go, you know what? Count it all joy when you're going through a trial. What are you so happy about I'm going through a trial? Woo! Ha ha! Wow. I'd like to see you on a good day. Count it all joy. I mean, why are you bewildered that you're going through stuff? Like, didn't you think you're going to go through stuff? Didn't you think, well, it came to Jesus trouble-free? No, I mean, there's an enemy who wants to mess with your life, but here, you messing with me? You messing with me? You? You messing with me? Boom, it's on. I'm going to drop kick you from the top rope. I'm going to whack you, drag you through the streets. I'm going to make a mockery of you. I'm going to come out the other side of this. I'm going to be victorious, and God's going to get the glory again and again and again. Ha! Ha! Oh, arr, I don't know what's happened. I got a, I got a pirate anointing. We are the army of God. Arr. Glory to God. I want to pillage the kingdom of darkness. Okay, sorry. Let's move seven. Seven, quickly. Seven. Seven. Here we are. Out of John. John chapter 21 to 20. Jesus said to the woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why, why are you crying so? For whom are you looking? Suppose that it was the gardener. She replied, sir, if you've carried him away from here, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She thought it was the gardener. She came early in the morning. She came because, you know, at least, you know, he's died. And I don't know if they really took care of his body properly. The one person in my life who gave me dignity. The one man in my life who, who didn't abuse me and treat me like garbage. The one man who I got, I walked with the disciples. I sat at his feet. I taught. He taught me like I was one with everyone. I felt completely accepted, totally adequate. I felt like a real person. I had significance. And that one person, he's dead. And he's gone. Oh, my whole life is it over. And she runs to the tomb in the morning, and then he's not only dead, somebody stole his body. Then she's, oh, you, did, did you take his body? Why are you crying? Point number one, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I'm not, I'm not condemning you for crying. I just want to know what is it you're crying for? What is it you're crying about? 
I want to know. You see, here's some beautiful verses. You ready? Because he's the solution to every tear, every broken situation. Let it out, but know this, that he collects every one of those tears. I love that, don't you? It says he bottles up every one of my tears. And you know what? Whatever bottle has my name on it in heaven, it's got a lot of stuff in there. I got a big bottle. You ever wept a little bit over a mess? You ever wept over the loss? You ever wept over pain? You know, he collects every single one of our tears. Are they not written in your book? And then Isaiah 25, 80 says, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all, from all. He'll wipe away the tears from all faces. Listen, whatever it is, whatever's got you in that place, he wants to know why you're crying. Because he's ready to act on your behalf. Because here's the next thing he says. He says, Mary. And then all of a sudden, you're not dead. Here's the thing. Jesus, he says, don't touch me, Mary. Now, a little later in the day, he says, touch me. So, but at that point, he said, don't touch me. So before he even ascended to the throne with his own blood, to put his blood on the mercy seat, before he did that, he said, Father, hang on a second. Before I pour the blood on the mercy seat for all of mankind, I want to make sure there's one person that I get to visit really fast. Because I know there's one person who's going to be broken right now. So, Father, hang tight. I'll be right there. I want to stop off at Jerusalem just for a second because I've got to see Mary. How beautiful is that? Someone so broken, so hopeless, that while he's in the, in the, the job, he's in, the, he's in the, the, the divine, eternal purpose of God to fulfill the redemption of all of mankind, he says, Mary is so important to me that in the middle of, not right now, Mary, I'm redeeming the world. He said, I'm taking time for her. I'm taking time for Mary. Listen, he's taking time for you. God's no respecter of persons. Like, isn't, wow, wasn't Mary special? How cool is that? You're special. You're the apple of his eye. I mean, you're to die for. He loves you so much. Look at what, I love what David said. David said, my God, my rock, in him will I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my, 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 my personal savior and lover of my soul will never leave me alone in the space between. If you're in the space between what should be and what it is, he is there with you right now. And he is able to deliver you in every way. Stop running around the building. How many in your spirit you're running right now? Your spirit's running, but your flesh just can't catch up. Number three, go and tell them. When you've been impacted that way and you know how secure you are in his love and you know that nothing can separate you from him and that you're more than a conqueror every moment, every day. I am loved, loved, loved. What are you so happy about? I'm loved every day, every day, every day. You know, you can't help but let that pour out of your heart to other people. I just got enough for me, Pastor. Just enough. No, I tell you what, he, he every day floods you and fills you, saturates you with his goodness every day. And every day you got more than enough. I mean, when you've really experienced his goodness, boy, you got to run away and she says, I have seen the Lord. And then all the guys thought she was crazy. 
two of them still left, went down the road to Emmaus. Jesus catches up with them. Where are you guys going? Oh, I don't know what happened this weekend. And then a woman, a woman comes and tells us he's risen from the dead. How crazy is she? And then Jesus like, it's me. Ah! I love that. You know what? And then what did they do? They turned back around and they went. They went and told the disciples, we've seen him. When you've seen the resurrected Christ, you can't help but share it with other people. Hello. Hello, we've got visitor cards, guest cards, invite cards, all kinds of cards. Come, we're saving a seat for you cards. There's a couple chairs here. We started two services on Sunday so we can invite more people. We're going to start the third one soon, so let's start filling the seats, people. Has anybody been impacted by the resurrected Christ? Has anyone here been touched by a risen Savior? Tell somebody. It's a natural outworking. I would tell somebody, but I'm going through a real hard time right now. You know what you do when you're going through a hard time? Think about other people. I think that was in the first part of the sermon, two-part sermon. 14 points, but I tied it up into two parts. Tucked a two-part sermon into a 14-pointer. Smart guy. Okay, number four, number four. Peace be with you. Isn't this beautiful? Here's what he said. They've locked themselves in. They're terrified. They're going to kill us. His body's gone. Oh, my goodness. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And then whoop, walks through the wall. Ah! Jesus will walk through your locked situations. He'll walk, he'll walk through places where you've locked yourself in. I've locked myself away. My life is so miserable. Lord, I'm shutting you out. I'm going to go into my melancholy. I'm going to sit here by myself. Me, melon, and collie. Just sitting here. But you know what? Behind that locked door, he's going to show up. He's going to walk right through there. Aren't you glad that he, well, he won't even let you Block his entrance into your situation. No, Lord, it's probably somebody who's worse off than me. Don't waste your time on poor, miserable me. Shut up. Come here. And here's his first word to you. Stop it. No. Here's his first word. Do you ready? Peace. Peace. Shalom is what he said. It means peace, completeness, soundness, safety, welfare, health, prosperity, friendship, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lost. Peace. Just turn to your neighbor and say peace. Lay your hand on another neighbor and say, peace. Turn to that person you forgot all about and say, eh, you're my third choice. Peace. I love that. Don't you? Number five. Number five. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Boom. Receive. Don't achieve. Don't work for. Don't go and earn the Holy Ghost, people. No, he said, receive the Holy Ghost. The risen Savior said, receive the Holy Ghost. He gives us the person of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his commission. His work depends on his spirit. He who was raised, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he's going to be in you. And that same spirit is going to quicken you, lift you, raise you up. He's going to animate you with the same power that animated Jesus to do all kinds of great stuff. See, when Jesus was alive, there was just one Jesus running around. But now that he went to heaven, he sent the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost fills Bill. And fills me and fills Terry. And now suddenly the devil is handing out volume all over hell. He's saying we were just dealing with one before, and now look at them, they're everywhere, they're everywhere, they're everywhere. Christ in you is the hope of realizing the glory of God. Hallelujah. Number number six. Number six, stop doubting and believe. 
Stop doubting and believe. He's going to enter your prison of fear. He's going to totally set you free, right? Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I was miserable. I was like, oh no, this isn't good. He picks him up. He puts him in the throne. He says, look at what's going on. If you've got a bad situation you're going through, he's going to pick you up. And he's going to realign your whole perspective. And you're going to see that I'm not stuck under the circumstances. I'm reigning and ruling with Christ Jesus. He came to Gideon. Gideon's just hiding from the enemy, trying to make a bond in a wine press. And he comes and says, hey, mighty man of God. Gideon's like, where? Where? <laughs> you. Mighty man of God. Yeah, you. See, he declares who you are before you've even done a thing. His own son, his son gets baptized. He says, my son, of whom I'm well pleased. Well, father, actually, I haven't even done any ministry yet. I haven't even preached a sermon. You're pleased with me? I'm not pleased with you because you do stuff. I'm pleased with you because you're my child. Then Acts chapter 27, Paul's shipwrecked in chains going to Rome and messed up. And then Jesus shows up and says, everything's going to be good, Paul. Tell them that nobody's going to lose their life. Everything's going to be good. Hey, guys, it's all good. Jesus is just talking to me. We're all going to be fine. He shows up in your mess. He shows up in your mess. He shows up. Stop doubting right now. I don't, I care, but I don't care what you're going through. I care, but I don't care what you're going through because no matter what it is, stop doubting and believe that he is able to bring you not only through, but to get back everything stolen and more and to set you up for a miracle. Number seven, blessed are those who've not seen. He says, man, you guys hung out with me. You guys experienced me locally anointed with you, but more more blessed is this next generation. More blessed are these who come after because they're, gonna be, they're, they're not going to have Jesus with them. They're going to have the Spirit of Christ in them. And they're going to be more blessed because they're going to have that intimate experience because he said, when I go, I'm going to send to you the comforter. Can you give me another slide? Boom. Communion time. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Now, it's not my table. It's not Terry's table. It is made in China. I'm just kidding. It says, in remembrance of me, it's not Impact Church's table. It's the Lord's table. And you know, you know what it says, eh? It says, let a man examine himself. But it says, let them see if they would possibly come to the table in an unworthy manner. Not unworthily, because here's, here's, the, here's the news. You ready? You're all unworthy. If that were the thing, none of us could come. But it's not if you're unworthy, don't come. It says don't come in an unworthy manner. What's an unworthy manner, Pastor? An unworthy manner is to sit there and say, like, well, I'm not quite right with God, I think. I think I'm not sure. I better, I better push away your goodness and your kindness for a while. I'm going to try and straighten myself out a bit so we can be friends. That's an unworthy manner. The only way you can be friends is by coming to the table. The only way you can deal with whatever the objectionable things are is the blood of Jesus. The, the, everything necessary for you to be in a relationship with God is actually at the table. So to avoid the table, here's the results of avoiding the table. Many are weak, many are sick, many are dead. Because at the table, there's strength, there's life, and there's resurrection power. If you stay away from the table, you're saying, God, I'm going to go it alone for a little while. You and I are not going to be friends for a little bit until I can figure this out. How much pride is that? That's an unworthy manner. So how should we come? 
Thank you, Jesus. That's why it's called Eucharist. It means thank you. Thanks. And that's why for me, McDonald's might have thought they had it first, but Jesus started with the Happy Meal. Because <laughs> this is a very, very happy time for me. Because Jesus, when he said it is finished, he meant it's finished. Carl, I covered every single detail. I specifically made sure on the cross, in that pain, in the mission I was in, I made sure I covered every single detail. Because you can approach the Father only through faith in the finished work of the cross. It's not by works. It's not by your wallowing in your misery and your self-pity. It's by simply saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to come to the cross, and I want to read this, all right? I want to read this. Read this with me. I put it all up on there because I want you to see it. I want it to get in your spirit. You ready? We're going to get the Romans in a couple of weeks. Isn't that exciting? But let's read this together, please. All right, lift your eyes and say, it's Romans 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace might abound? Because he said, wherever, gra wherever sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So they're like, so where there's a lot of sin, there's even more grace? Yes. Should we sin then that grace would abound? If that question isn't being asked of you while you're preaching, you're not preaching the gospel. He's that good? He's that kind? His love is really unconditional? What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace might abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Did you die to sin? See, Jesus died for you, but you died with him. Let me say it again. You ready? You died with Christ. When he died on that cross, so did you. That fallen sinful nature, you're not battling two things in you. If you sin now, it's because you successfully, out of your righteous nature, granted you by Jesus Christ, did something stupid. Doesn't make you a sinner. Makes you a righteous person who sinned. Now turn back to Jesus and say, well, that was stupid, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Now get over here. See, I fell in the mud the other day, just like a pig, in the mud. I got out of the mud and I went, I must be a pig now. I took a shower and went, oh, I am a man. You might fall in the mud, but it doesn't make you a sinner. If... You were, you're dead to sin. Oh, uh, nah, you, you should follow me around for a week. It's really bad. Well, you know, the, you know the only way to get rid of the bad is to continually focus on the good. And I'm not saying sin is awful, and sin has its own punishment. And if you're doing it, stop it, because you're going to hurt yourself and maybe others. It's wrong. But you know you get free of sin? Not by staring at your sin, staring at your Savior. That's the difference. And you know what? You know why I think sin is gross and disgusting and evil? Because I think about what it took God to set you free. But here's the other thing. If he did that to set you free, why do you still stay in it? If he did that to set you free, why would you wallow in self-pity like, I'll deal with this, I'll take, sorry about that, I'm going to take care of it, then we'll talk later. No, you can't take care of it. You need to come right to his face and say, that was bad, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Okay, shall we continue? No, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? There's, there's the thing. See, if you're still doing it, here's what, here's what your problem is. Your problem isn't that there's, some, that there's a different nature in you. Your problem isn't that. Your problem is you don't know. 
The problem is a knowledge thing. The problem is revelation. What is it? Or don't you know that as many as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So you keep doing dumb stuff because you don't understand you're dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. And I'm a slave. What am I a slave of now? I was a slave to sin. Couldn't help myself. But now I'm a slave to righteousness. I wake up every day and go, righteousness. I can't even help myself. I just... Can I hold the door for you? Can I? Hey, did you want to get in line? Did you, it, it, my nature is totally towards serving other people. Not because I'm self-disciplining myself, but because I died and I am risen with Christ. Are you okay? We're having communion. All right. All right, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism in the death, that just as Christ was raised, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, how was he raised by the Spirit? How was he raised by the glory? Synonymous, kingdom, glory, Spirit, raised. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united, if, and the if is not a, it's a rhetorical if, it's not a conditional if. If we have been united with Christ and in the likeness of his death, certainly, certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, the if shouldn't be if. The if should be since we've died with Christ. Since we died with Christ, certainly, we've been risen with him. Wow. I can't take all the good stuff going on in me. I need to share it. I'm going to explode with the goodness of God. Give me another verse. Knowing, say knowing. See, the problem isn't behavioral. It's knowledge. It's revelational. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we, This isn't my idea. It's actually the Bible. It's sound doctrine. Knowing this, that you should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died, did you die? Did you die with Jesus? Did Jesus die for you? Yes. Did you die with him? Yes. Knowing that, we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Another one. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Oh, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon, reckon, knowledgeable, thinking things, align yourself, reckon it so. Well, that's good news, Pastor. Well, what do you got to say about I reckon it's true. Reckon yourself, reckon, 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 reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Next one, this is it. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall have no dominion over you. Sin shall have no dominion over me. For you are not under the law, but under grace. It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And uh, it's grace that teaches us to live righteous and upright in this life. Go look at it. It's in Titus. Fantastic book. It's grace that brings the revelation of all this to bear in our lives. Embrace it. In Jesus' name.